going to be in Exodus 4.29. You can go there in your Bible or in your app now. Uh, something weird happened this week that spurred all sorts of conversation and controversy and everything. Uh, Hugh Hefner died. If you have no clue who he is or you just don't want to admit it because this is church, uh, he's the guy who founded uh, Playboy magazine, which has brought all sorts of brokenness and destruction and evil into the world. He died. And so when he died, uh, there was two largely differing opinions, and I found myself in one camp and then had to change quickly. Uh, but w- part of it was people who were saying he's an entrepreneur, he's somebody who did life his way, way to go. Uh, the other side is my first reaction when I saw it is good. He's gone. Smoking and not smoking for, for eternity, he's getting the smoking. Uh, and that lasted for about a day. And then I kind of had like one of those moments of clarity, you know, and I felt like God saying, okay, you're completely in the wrong in this. Okay, he lived a life that was blatantly against the way that God created so many things. And so when he met Jesus on Wednesday and was punished to hell for all eternity, God didn't do it with a smile. Okay, he didn't do it with a fist bump to the angels. He didn't do it with saying, okay, I'm glad that there's a hell and I'm glad that we're sending somebody like that. God did it with the heart of a father where he looked at a life that was lived to pursue emptiness and lived to stick on its head so many things that God created. And he didn't do it with a high five to punish him. He did it with a broken heart. Today we're going to look at a story from the book of Exodus, which is where we are. And it really highlights this idea that as each one of us in our own lives brings into a relationship with God truckloads of brokenness, what God doesn't do is say, good, you've got punishment ahead of you. What he says instead is with a soft heart, a broken heart, an attitude of restoration and wanting to make right every wrong that we bring in, he con- like meets our brokenness with invitation to life. He meets our sin, he meets our destruction with an unending, lifelong invitation into relationship with Jesus. And when, when we step into that, when we say yes to that, when we accept that, then we begin a relationship with God. We begin uh, the fight of goodness, uh, rooting out every element of darkness in our lives. That's what it is for all of us to be Christians, is each and every one of us, me included, brings a level of darkness into life with us. The Bible calls it original sin. The way that you can remember it is your three-year-old never has to be told to say no to you. All right, that part is just ingrained in them. They grow up, they learn how to say yes, they learn how to smile, they also learn how to say no and run away from you. That's the darkness that we bring into our lives because we have a pulse. And what God says is instead of seeing us in that brokenness, seeing us in that distance away from him and saying, good luck, you're lost, he chases after us day after day after day. He did that biggest in the person of Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, something that comforts me, that reminds me of who I was and where God is bringing me and where God wants to work through my life to those around us is 1 Timothy 1.15. Short and simple, it says this, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come into the world for the good people. He came into the world for the bad people, for the broken people, to the point where it got him in trouble with holy people who thought they were better than everyone else. He's reminding them with his life, reminding him with the way that he talked to people, reminding them with his mercy and compassion, which is shown to us that he did not come for good people because they don't exist. He came for sinners. He came for people who had darkness in them. He came for people who look, act, talk, think, and love like you and me. And he said, I'm going to take you from where I find you, from the enslavement that I find you in, and bring you into eternal life. 
It's gonna make a difference in where you are now. It's gonna make a difference for you all eternity. He did that for us, and that offer stood the same for Hugh Hefner every single day of his life. And we object to that. We say, like, why would you say good things about a horrible person like that? It's not about him, it's about God. And what God does constantly, and what we're gonna look at today, is that God is always about fighting for our freedom. We're in the books of, book of Exodus. Exodus is a story about God, but more than that, it's a story about us. It's something that we can read the pages and see us and our lives in there. It's told largely through the main character, Moses. Moses resembles us so many times because Moses has issues, because Moses doubts, because Moses disobeys, because Moses tries to solve big problems his way, which creates a bigger disaster, much like, I don't know, me, like the face that we see in the mirror every morning. And God says that for, through you, through what I'm going to do with your life, I'm going to show you how I'm all about fighting for freedom, how I'm all about bringing people who are from brokenness uh, to a relationship of wholeness with me. And so we're going to be in Exodus 4.29, and we're going to look at four things that are constant as we fight for individuals' freedom, as we look at our life as something that's meant to be poured out for other people to come to know Jesus through us. These are four things that we're going to encounter every single day. If you want more of like a broken down in-depth look at this, I encourage you to get in a life group. Uh, Mine meets tonight at five o'clock at main campus. Uh, A lot of our wives are at women's retreat this weekend, so we're doing pizza for dinner. Uh, If you hate pizza, I got a salad uh, because I was told that some people like to eat healthy. Whoever they are will pray for you. Uh, But I'm going to stuff my face with pizza to the glory of Jesus. Uh, There's also one that meets on Thursdays. Uh, Jim Heyer, he's going to raise his hand right now. He's in the Thursday group. If you want to know about the Thursday group, talk to him. Uh, So, yeah, four things that that we're always going to encounter as we run after after people, as we fight for people. The first one of those is that God fights for our freedom. God fights for our freedom. We're talking about what we do, but beyond everything that we do, beyond anything that we could bring into it, any contribution that you or I could make, there's a God behind it all, above it all, who works for our freedom. In the book of Exodus 4.29 where we started, it says this. It says, Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Moses told them, or Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses. And Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. So this whole thing began on earth with Moses stepping out of his disobedience, stepping into obedience to God and saying, yes, I will go back to the land that I ran away from, the land that you're sending me into to bring your people, the Israelites, into freedom. And so on earth, it looks like Moses is moving forward. But really what's going on is God saying, even from the beginning, even before Moses, my earthly representative in this, said yes to you, I've been fighting for your freedom. What's going on in this this verse is that the Israelites, God's people, have been held captive as slaves for 400 years. That's 400 years of crying out for release, crying out for justice, crying out and letting their their prayers feel like they hit the ceiling and come back down. And God is saying that even after 400 years of you asking, I have heard. I'm going to answer your prayers. I'm going to send you the freedom that you've been asking for. It's not going to go on any longer. Your hope is finally going to be answered. It doesn't need to be dead and non-existent anymore. Instead, it's going to grow. It's going to flourish. You're going to find freedom. 
Even before Moses said yes to being the person that represented all this, God was already fighting for their freedom. He does that for us today in the cross, which, which is the beginning of our relationship with God and the end of us being owned by sin because Jesus came there to pay for our sin. And the same cross that absorbed the punishment of our sin gives us permission to come into a relationship with God. And at that point where we say yes to God and say no to living our old life, our old way, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and begins to transform us from the inside of us to the outside of us to make us more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul, a guy who used to hate Christians until he became one, he says this in Romans 8, 29. He says, for God knew, that his, knew his people in advance. He knew them in advance and he chose them to become like his son and that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I love the, the phrasing there. He said, I've known these people way in advance. And even when I adopted them in their brokenness, I'm pulling them toward me. I'm making them like their big brother, Jesus. If you've got a sibling, you know that there are areas uh, in your face that you look like your family, that you act like your family. And in this, God is saying in his word that Jesus is like your big brother. Eventually, you're gonna grow out of a life that used to be rebellious to God and is now gonna be turned into being ruled by God and you're gonna grow up and you're gonna start acting like your big brother, Jesus. Your heart is gonna be broken for the things that break God's heart. Your hands are gonna be gifted into service as you serve the way that God would serve. Your voice, which used to condemn people and curse people, is now gonna speak blessings over people. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is working in you. It's fighting for your freedom more and more. And you're gonna begin to look like your older brother. We're going to begin to look like Jesus because God fights for our freedom. When God like initially encounters Moses and Moses starts lifting off excuse after excuse about why he's the wrong guy. We looked at this two weeks ago. The thing is, is that God doesn't remind Moses of how big of a failure he is. When you come to Jesus, God isn't going to remind you of everything that you've done wrong. When you open the word each day to, to read about what God wants to say to you and how God wants to redefine your identity, he's not gonna start by reminding you of everything that you're horrible at. He's gonna call you into the identity, into the future, into who he created you to be. And out of that, he's gonna work amazing things. In that passage, Moses didn't gather the Israelite leaders and then God spoke and says, hey, I've got this leader for you. But man, his old life is a disaster. I don't know if you want to follow him because he is that bad. I'm going to fight for your freedom, but man, I do not have very good tools to work with. God fights for our freedom by pulling us into the destiny that he has for us. By saying, this is who I created you to be as my son, as my daughter. You're gifted with the Holy Spirit, which is going to be like a river of water flowing out of you. Good water that brings healing to people that restores relationships, that, that fixes hearts. That's who you're gonna be. That's who we are as sons and daughters of God because our God fights for our freedom. And God also didn't wait for Moses to be perfect. When Moses stood in front of Israelite leaders and says, God has actually heard you, he's going to bring freedom. He's still a sinner just like us. What God waits for is us to be faithful, to step in to everything he calls us to as his, as his sons and daughters. I'm going to wait for you to be faithful. The perfection part, that'll never happen until your heart stops beating. But in the meantime, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to show you every day what it is to follow me. So God fights for our freedom. Secondly, we fight against a real enemy. 
So the enemy of Moses in the story is the Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the absolute king over Egypt, and he is, is he's like the president with no Congress. Okay? Everything he says goes. There are no checks and balances. And so when Moses goes before Pharaoh, there, there's no backing of support behind Moses. Pharaoh could have him killed in an instant if he wanted to. And Pharaoh is a real enemy in this. For us, we fight against a real enemy called the devil. But in this story, the devil works through the life of Pharaoh. Chapter 5, verse 1. After, their, after this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. And they told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so, retorted Pharaoh. And who is this Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. So he's not asking who is the Lord in an attitude of hunger, wanting to know more about Jesus. He's not signing up for a discovery Bible study anytime soon. He doesn't want to go to church and learn more about this God. He's saying, I don't even recognize your God. Just like you don't ask the name of the ant that you squish with your finger. Pharaoh's saying, I'm not, I don't even care about who this God is. Who is he? I grew up in L.A. I love the Lakers, which is currently a charity case. Uh, but back in the day, like, they were really good. And they had this guy named Shaquille O'Neal, uh, who's as big as my car. And he put the ball in the hole really, really good. Uh, back when they were good and they would actually beat the Spurs instead of get clobbered by them, uh, they were headed into a series against the Spurs. And one of the reporters asked him, so are you nervous about facing the Spurs? Shaq had a beef with the Spurs because of some stuff that had happened the previous summer. And he says in his super deep voice, uh, he says, who are the Spurs? Are they a WNBA team or something? I don't know who the Spurs are. It's that same attitude of Pharaoh uh, about God. He says, I don't even know who this God is. I don't care. It doesn't even matter to me. It's not even going to affect my life. We fight against the real enemy. As we fight for people's freedom, we're fighting against the real enemy. Moses is going after the freedom of the nation of Israel. And as we live as Christians, we're going after the freedom of people who know us but don't yet know Jesus. That's what freedom looks like for us. As we look at Moses going to free the Israelites, we can turn that around and look at our day. Where you go to work, where you go to school, who are the people around you that know you but don't yet know Jesus. You're in their lives because God wants to use you, use your prayers, use your risks that you take to call them to salvation. He wants to use that to make a difference in their lives. And as you do that, you will go up against an enemy whose name is the devil. And he wants nothing more than to do two things. To depress you and your ability and convince you you will never do anything that makes a difference. And also to make life entirely difficult for you to do that. So what does he do to the nation of Israel? He says, okay, I want you to continue to be my slaves, but now I'm going to remove all the supplies that you have to get done the stuff that I want you to get done each day. And I don't think this type of thing should ever surprise us. As we step into this week making a difference in lives of people around us who don't follow Jesus, we are going right at the devil's home ground. We're going after hearts that he already owns. We're going at seeing habits that are producing death that are running people away from Jesus and we want to see those change. We want to see lives that are currently opposed to God, surrendered to God. And we want to see the population of hell plummet and the population of heaven drastically increase. As that happens, we're going to face opposition. None of us should be surprised when that happens. But what we need to know is that as we step out, as we step against darkness in this world, what we're going to have behind us is we're going to have God Supporting us, encouraging us, and showing us that whatever we lose on earth, one, he will make up for in our hearts, and he will make up for all eternity.
We fight against the real enemy, which doesn't surprise God and also doesn't defeat God. And we also fight when those who we're fighting for don't seem to care. We fight when those who we're fighting for don't seem to care. Micah is my three-year-old. Uh, Anna was away at women's retreat this weekend, so I spent a lot of time with him on, uh, on Friday before the girls got home from school. And so we were playing around with his bike helmet, and he was wondering, how can I make my face look even fatter? Oh, this will do. Uh, so I had to get a picture of that. But uh, he's got a two-wheeler that he has ridden for about, like, I don't know, combined 45 minutes. Uh, and that's with me holding the tires and, or holding the handlebars and running with him. I am determined to get him going on this two-wheeler. If we can do it before he turns four, that's going to be an awesome little stat in his Hall of Fame uh, stats that I'm keeping because I'm his dad. But he doesn't want to do it at all. And, and I've got very little confidence in doing this, which leads to very little patience in doing this. Uh, both of his girls, ride, or both of his sisters, ride a two-wheeler bike now, and that did not come easy. So I have three children worth of experiences of stuff that doesn't work. Uh, so we were working on this on Friday, uh, and he started to get tired. He started to get upset with me. He started to lose his patience with me. And so this kid, who if you see him in between services, his motor never stops. He is running all the time. So I look at him and think, you riding a bike, you're going to love it because you can go everywhere fast. Like you can get away from me and your mom very quickly. Thankfully, he knows not to go in the street. But in the meantime, like you can, this is going to be perfect for you. This is your personality plus two wheels. It's going to be great. So we're out there for about 10 minutes. He starts losing his patience with me. And this kid who never stops moving tells me, Dad, I want to go in and take a nap. Like you never want to sleep. Why do you want to sleep? Oh, because you hate riding your bike and you hate being scared on two wheels. But seriously, stop. Don't do that. He finally like keeps pushing. Dad, I want to go in. I want to sleep. I want to sleep. So we go inside and he doesn't fall asleep, but I just read him some books and stuff. And uh, one of the books that they got, that the girls got, was a comic book Bible. And so he's had his eye on that. Like, he wants to read Jesus, the comic book superstar. Uh, but we don't read it that time. Eventually, I get him back outside, back on the bike. And so five minutes more, we go where he wants to go. Uh, he doesn't fall. I'm doing the running next to him thing, uh, holding on to the back of the seat and the handlebars, which is impossible. Uh, but for the record, like, we're going to make this work. And, and after about 10 more minutes of, of just him being impatient with me, me hoping this is going to work, but yet it doesn't work, he tells me, okay, Dad, I'm tired. I want to go in and read the Bible. Like no little kid wants to read the Bible, but if it's not riding the freedom-giving bike, yeah, I'm open to reading the Bible. Like he's so against it. and He doesn't see the freedom that it's going to be. He will choose any excuse possible to not have to ride his bike. This is what Moses is running into with the Israelites. It's a group of people that, that God has said, you're going to find freedom. The enslavement, the abuse that you currently live under, it's going to stop. It's going to be a lot better than a tiny little two-wheeler in, in Fresno. It's going to be an abundant relationship with Jesus. And the Israelites say, we want to go, in. we want to go inside. We want to do something else. We want to take a nap. This freedom thing, it sounds great, but, but that's not for us. And so after the Pharaoh doubles their workload, they come back to Moses and they say this. Say the Israelite foreman could see that they were in serious trouble when they were told that you must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. And they left Pharaoh's court and they confronted Moses and Aaron who were waiting outside for them. The foreman said to them, may the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword into their hands and an excuse to kill us. Saying basically we don't care. 
I mean, 21 verses earlier, they were worshiping God because of the freedom that is coming to them. And now at this point, they're saying, we, we don't even care. It's not worth it. They've gotten used to being abused, assaulted, used, beaten, anything you can put. They're literally living as slaves, and they say, we don't care anymore. I mean, for every person that we press into and, and want to see become Christians, there are going to be moments where we feel like they do not care. And what does God say is that even in the midst of those times when you feel like as a minister of the gospel, which is what you are if you're a Christian, that you push through the points where people say that they don't care. Because beyond that, underneath that, there's a need for freedom. I think for all of us, the, the key here is instead of looking out at people where we feel like we have run into a brick wall when it comes to being light and life in their, in their hearts. I think the thing is, is that we can't just say, well, that's their problem. That's something that they can't get right. That's an area of life where they will never be where I am. No, our hearts need to continuously be softened to the Lord and reminding ourselves of who we once were and that God didn't leave us in our brokenness, leave us in our captivity, leave us in our darkness, but instead he stepped into that. He sent people into that who at some point told you about Jesus and since then everything has changed. That the darkness doesn't seem dark anymore because Jesus' light is invading our lives. That our sense of isolation and aloneness doesn't seem so alone because God has filled us with his spirit and united us with other believers. God's saying that through all this, through the times when people are saying they, they don't care about what you're trying to tell them, when you feel like that's all that you're getting back, God says even then you keep fighting. And remember where you've come from. The least productive thing that, that we can do in fighting for people's salvation and, and investing in the lives of other people, hoping that one day they're going to know Jesus the way that we do, is to forget that each and every one of us were sinners who were separated from Jesus. And what happened is that Jesus gave his life for ours. He traded his perfection for our sin. And that we were brought into a relationship with God, not by anything that we did, but by everything that Jesus did for us on our behalf. We can never forget that. Even when it seems like the people that we're fighting for uh, don't seem to care. And all of this is important because as we fight, we're trusting God to win the battle because faith plus participation equals miracles. So the four men come to Moses and they said, you're trying to kill us. This freedom that you want for us is never going to work out. Pharaoh's going to kill us. He's made us stink before Pharaoh. 22, it says, Then Moses went back to the Lord and he protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, you've been even more brutal to your people and you have done nothing to rescue them. Then the Lord told Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. This is God saying, hey, you feel like you've run into a brick wall. You feel like the people whose lives you are fighting for no longer care. This is where you're going to see me move because your faith, your participation is going to bring on the miraculous. How this hits us is for the next seven days, I want us as a church to take a step forward into the lives of people who know us, who don't yet know Jesus, because next Sunday we want to see them meet Jesus. We want to see them say yes to him. We want to see them find forgiveness of their sins and walk into a new relationship with Jesus. 
Okay, so spoiler, spoiler alert. After this point in Exodus, God begins to unleash plague after plague after plague on the Egyptians, showing them that God, in fact, is the one who's in charge of all of creation, of all of life. And all of this culminates uh, with, with the 10th plague, which is the Passover. As the angel of death goes through Egypt and the firstborn son in every family that doesn't have a lamb's blood spread across the top of their door, the firstborn son dies. It's looking forward to Jesus' saving blood on our lives, which was spilled for our freedom, which was spilled so that when death comes to us physically, it does not come to us also spiritually. That just as it cleanses us from death, it also cleanses us from sin. That Jesus' blood, which we see in the Old Testament, we see in our lives daily, as it brings us into a new relationship with God. As it takes us from darkness to light, it takes us from death to life with the Lord. And next Sunday is going to focus all on that. It's going to be the day where we start to see the payoff for our fight in people's lives. It's going to be the day where, where people that we know are going to say yes to Jesus because you invited them at some point this week. And that's going to take faith on our part that God's actually going to do it, which he completely is. And it's also going to take participation. It's going to take us saying no to fear, saying no to awkwardness, saying no to, well, I wonder what's going to happen, and saying, I'm going to put this relationship, I'm going to put my invitation, I'm going to put this person in the path of God who can bless them and completely change them. When we do that, when our faith and participation uh, join together, God has an opportunity to do the miraculous. And that's going to take two things. That's going to take our heart and mind completely changing about the whole idea of evangelism. Right, you can think that you talking to a coworker, talking to a family member, talking to a classmate about Jesus might be the most awkward thing in all creation. But it's what God wants to use to bring your friend into relationship with him. Today as you leave, uh, there's going to be uh, the same ushers and greeters that gave you bulletins on the way in, they're going to give you invite cards on the way out. And those are going to be things not just to remind you to come back next week. Uh, if you really need a reminder, just tell someone and we can call you early on Sunday morning. Uh, we'll do it before you wake up just as a way of uh, doubly reminding you. But it's something that you can pass out to coworkers, to friends, to classmates, to family members and say, hey, I want you to come to church with me this day. It will not be awkward service Sunday, okay? It's going to be made for the people that you bring to church because we want them to meet Jesus that day. And so as a team, as a planning team, we're going to make sure that it's a picture-perfect Sunday where your people who know nothing about church, nothing about Jesus, they're going to come and be completely changed by him. It starts by our hearts getting hungry for seeing God invade people's lives. And it also starts with us being prepared for it. At the bottom of your outline, there are some uh, dates and times uh, for salvation training. This is us praying for people and seeing them become Christians, us getting trained in that. So it's more than just us kind of like wide-eyed, shaking, unsure, sweaty, saying, how about you just come talk to my pastor? I don't know what to say to you. But us being trained in a way to tell people about Jesus, that's not awkward, a way that's comfortable and a way that is life-giving for people. It's Friday night and Saturday morning at main campus. Both things are going to be identical, so you can pick one uh, that works best for you. But we're going to be a church of trained people who are ready to, when people respond at the end of the service, we're going to be ready to lead them in what it is to follow Jesus. Because as we fight, we're trusting God to win the battle. That our faith plus our participation is going to bring on God's miraculous. And today we're going to end with communion. It's going to be a different way for us to end, but I want it to remind us of exactly who we are. 
Right, in communion, we, we do two things. We drink a cup of juice. The cup of juice is the new covenant. It represents Jesus' blood, which brings us into relationship with God. It's the invitation of God to say, hey, come to me, all you who are weak and carry heavy burdens, and in me, you will find rest. And just as God invited us into that relationship, that invitation stands for every person that we know, regardless of how far away from the Lord we are. And as we drink that cup, and as we celebrate what God did for us, I want us looking ahead to see, okay, God, who are the people in my life who are miles from you now, but can be brought in in a week? That can be brought in through our invitation through them saying yes to showing up, them showing up here, and God completely wrecking their soul in the best way possible. The the cup is gonna remind us of that. The bread represents Jesus' body, which was given to us, for us, to take on the punishment for all of our sins. It's a tiny reminder. It says that as it comes through, comes into our body, all of our sins went into Jesus' body. And he absorbed all of it. And so as we go out today, we're not going out as damaged goods. We're not going out as, well, God, I can't do that because of my past. God, I can't do that because I've got this addiction. God, I can't do that because of insert thing here. It is the mute button of the Lord saying, stop it. I've created you for a purpose. I've created you for life. I've created you to fight for the souls of people that you know who don't yet know me. And communion reminds us that God is going to use us for that as we join our faith and our participation with his ability to do the miraculous. Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus today. I thank you that while we were far from him, you didn't let us stay in our brokenness, but instead you went after us. You fought for us. And as there's people around us, God, in our houses, in uh, our workplaces, in our classrooms, people that we hang out with that we see regularly, Lord. God, we know that as they uh, are far from you, Lord, that you want to bring them into a relationship with you. We thank you that you did that for us once upon a time. That while we were far from you, Lord, you didn't let us stay there. But you sent someone after us. And just as you sent someone after us, Lord, now I pray that you're going to send us out to the people around us that need to hear about you. If you're here today and you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, to ask him to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to change you from the inside of you to the outside of you, I want to give you that chance today. And and you're not saying you're perfect. You're agreeing with every other Jesus follower in that place, in this place, that we're so bad that Jesus needed to come and die for our forgiveness. And he did that joyfully and willingly. And so if you're here and you've never made that decision today, I'm gonna count to three. And if you're ready to do that today, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, someone's gonna pray with you. So one, God loves you. Always has, always will, never even flinches in it. And today he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives, mine included, where we tell God, get out, I'm doing this my way. And Jesus, that's called sin. And Jesus came to forgive us of our sin. And for each of us, There's a point where we make an individual decision. And so three, today's today's your day to say yes to Jesus. Today's your day to make the individual decision. So is there anyone like that here today where today's your day to say yes to Jesus? I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. As we close, someone's gonna pray with you. All right, for the rest of us, again, we're gonna close with communion. 
We're closing with remembering the blood that brings us into a relationship with Jesus, remembering the body that was given to absorb every single one of our sins and present us to God as pure and blameless men and women with the destiny to fight for people's freedom. I want us all to respond to this. We're responding with our feet. We're confirming with what's going on in our hearts that this is who Jesus is. This is what he did for us. This is how we're going to follow him this week. So let's worship. Let's respond. Let's give glory to the God who saved us.